It's a Wednesday morning. We're in the middle or the lull of the NFL week. Delighted to welcome everybody in the Scahill NFL. Michael McQuaid, Mark Hogan. Uh, Mark, I'll bring you in a second. I've heard enough and seen enough of you over the last seven weeks. I'm joking. How's the form? Uh, I'll bring in Mr. Scahill first, James. KJ, let's crack. Practice. I'm not even going to lie. I, the depression is getting deeper and deeper. Every week I talk to you guys, I get worried. <laughs> Say like, what's the crack you're, right. you're cracking up, James? I'm I'm putting my hair out. My hair, my hair's a mech. I mean, luckily I've shaved today. Um, I look like Bill Belichick on a, on a Monday presser after a defeat. Come here, yeah, actually, I have to ask you, I have to ask you, what was Belichick like when he walked into the press conference after Sunday? Hey, Michael will tell you, um, I completely pussied out. I was like ready to go and ask a question all day. So, um, look, I, I told you I wanted to be in one of those press rooms to see what it's like. Definitely tense. Straight up the fact oh, <laughs> Michael's showing a picture. We're we're like front row. He looked at me in disgust, I think says it all. Yeah. Um I don't think it helped that um there wasn't there were some poor questions that like set the mood of the press room, which I was like, whatever. Um but then you do see Mike Reese is beside us from ESPN. He can't get anything. The best answer actually went to Shane Brennan from the Irish Independent. Fair play to him. Got an actual answer out of Bill Belichick. Asked about Ezekiel Elliott. He's clued in. He's a Patriots fan. Shout out to him. But like I'm sitting there and I'm like, I have a, a bank of questions in my head, James. I've been thinking about this for the game. But he's not answering everything. He's saying the game's only done or we're going to talk about or look at that next week. And it's like, I didn't want the pie in my face of his rats just being like, no, I don't want to answer this. So yeah. I'm looking at Michael the whole time. I think Michael could see the desperation in my eye being like, this is my chance to ask the man a question. And I can, I know myself, I'm not going to do it. But I, I have thought about that moment ever since. And I've been thinking about questions. <laughs> I've still been thinking about questions about like, how they, they had the clock and everything on their side. They outgained them. They had more fourth down con- or third down conversions. Yeah. Like, the stats say that New England wins that, that game, but I'll tell you, the eyeball test doesn't because Mac Jones is way too conservative. The offense is way too conservative, but it was a tale of the Indianapolis Colts didn't have the stats because they were just like, we'll go deep shot, we'll go deep shot, we'll go deep shot. They couldn't convert long enough on those drives, but I'd rather watch that kind of football than what the New England Patriots put up the other day, which is like, there's men open downfield and Mac Jones is not allowed to throw the ball deeper than seven yards. Yeah. Because I was looking, um, obviously I was watching the game live with, with the, you know, I suppose with, with the degree of uncertainty of the way the game they were going to plan. And the run game I thought was was pretty good. I actually, at the end of the game, I tweeted that, you know, I'm I'm finished with Mac Jones. And I got a couple of good responses, I have to say. One was from a, a guy, man, Kevin Kilroy, and he, he made a good point about, um, he said that the play calling is limited to, to Mac's ability. So that they're not calling these deep shots. They're not calling plays that are, I suppose, you know, less than 50%. Um, and it shows big time because it was run, run, pass, punt. Run, run, pass, punt. That was it. And even on the pass protection, he got good enough time, but there was a couple of plays whereby if you paused it, when Mac, when Mac did his drop back, you could see the receivers aren't turned around. You know, so if we if we shoot out, if we, let's say, a couple of times we win 12 personnel, shoot out five receivers, right, including tight ends, and then there's a situation whereby Mac's ready, ready to throw the ball, there's pressure coming from Buckner and the likes, and there's four guys with the back turned. You know, it's just I, I and I in hindsight, I know at the time I was probably a bit more emotional than I'd like to be when I said I'm finished with Mac, because it was obviously on the back of that awful interception. But I have to say it's just 
the whole thing is broken. It's broken. And the run game was good. I thought the offensive line, in, in credit to them, I thought the likes of um, Joe, uh, especially So and you know, Anders did pretty well. We did well on the right-hand side of the offensive line. Oh, but he was sacked five times, James. And like, and I suppose it's his fault. See, the thing is, right, I thought Cole Strange had a very hard day. We were on a third left tackle in the third quarter. You know, so like on the right side, we've got good protection. If you look at our runs, all the runs where we gained the big yards were on our right. And I just thought, keep running the ball. Just keep running the ball. You know, and we, like I said, we had more third down conversion. We had good run yardage. But then the decision making when the options opened was just terrific. And I think, I look, I'm all for giving guys chances and, you know, trying to trying to mold them. But I think he's done now. That's, I think Mac is finished. He's out, he's out the door. I'm sorry. But that's it. Like when you put, sorry, I have to let you in, Michael, but I will say, what was it? Five sacks, all of them were on dropbacks. Like that's yeah. on Mac. Like he just, he couldn't make a decision and it was so apparent. And like, I know, Michael, you've thought on this. I think you have to put Bailey Zappi in there because you've shown nothing all game for Mac Jones, whether injured or otherwise, that he's going to be able to drive you in the field because the decision making just wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, do you remember when you were like five years of age or six years of age and I'm not trying to pick on a specific gender here, but for me, my dad went to work at my mom's at home. Maybe people have a different situation. I don't know. Great if you do. And you mess around. And all day, your mom's like, does she with you and comes home? And then you dad comes home. The, the, the house just goes like awake, silent. That's what I felt like when he walked in that presser. It was like, oh, Jesus. Here we go. Now, I remember when I had the chance, that, like, and I'm not trying to blow a trumpet here, but when I asked Brady a question last year, shaking as because it meant a lot but I was really nervous about it oh here whole different level like, I got questioning for David Andrews and I think you could sort of sense previously like when you know that like usually when a player comes out before the coach that's when you know oh here no don't go near this this is not good Um, it was funny because I looked at Mark and I also looked at the guy called Michael beside us James um, and I said god I wish Jim Scal was here boys yeah. <laughs> you'd be losing a rag in the press box but it's funny for just for people listening to this podcast we've been saying to James off camera for weeks come on we'll get you in I would have paid money to have you in that presser because I, I I think you would have asked something on Sunday just out of pure rage but I look there's a whole thing about you know potentially injury all that sort of stuff I think if that was any other head coach on any other team in that position with the season with the record and the way everything's went that would have took their quarterback out of a game with two minutes and something seconds to go in a game and brought somebody in at that point in the game and not with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, seven minutes to go whenever. I don't think the head coach or the offensive coordinator would have been in the job come the Monday morning or I think they would have been sacked before they got into playing in Germany. And I am stunned at the fact that Bailey Zappi came into that game and they were like, excuse my language, but they were like, F it, let's give it a go. And that never would have happened down through the years of Balachek and it, on one side, it was sad to see because it's a real demise of what was once a complete dynasty. It was an incredible team. We've seen Robert Kraft talk beforehand. I feel like fans in Germany were robbed a wee bit of that whole experience because the game just didn't flow that well. But on the other hand, James, it was just a, a show. It was a complete shit show because they were all over the shop. It was hard to watch. Like I was sitting trying to get pumped up. I was pumped up when they ran out. But then even when they ran out, Mac Jones started jogging and I'm like, oh, here. Yeah, but that's kind of, the, that's the meter test because, you know, like Brady, what was his calling card? Like, 
Don't give him the chances. Don't get him back on the field. Yeah. Don't give him a 40 seconds to go. Mac Jones, like, when he, like, what was that pass? We had to get out of there. So we weren't in the press conference for when he did. But, like, what was the interception? Like, it makes absolutely no, you can't, like, at least two of the week before, you're saying, oh, there can be some kind of miscommunication or something. But it's like, I, I was straight looking at the replay being like, that has to be tipped that ball because there's no way he's left it five yards short. But it's like, he literally had, like, he had no idea. He was like out of his depth. And I think Bill O'Brien was shouting on the, uh, shouting at Mac Jones on the sideline. I think he was completely rattled. Well, I fully agree with you because, you know, and it's, it's kind of, it was kind of a fight or flight moment whereby you can tell that the, the I suppose the difficulty level of execution wasn't that high to be honest. You know, it was just it was just an overthrow. It was an underthrow, obviously, but if he overthrew that, okay, clock stops. Well, not too bad. But he completely un- I mean, when I say underthrow, you know, it hit your man in the stomach. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it hit your man years ago, like and there was yards and yards off it. That just screamed to me. I went back and watched it seven or eight times to see could I get was there underlying pressure? Was it was it a bad route? Was his head turned? You know, it was nothing but on the quarterback's shoulders. And it looks like he was just completely, you know, scared, no confidence, you know, afraid to make a decision, afraid to make a play. And then I just con- contrast that with the, the body language and the way they executed against Buffalo three or four weeks ago. It just doesn't make sense. I just don't Here, know. James, I wonder, he doesn't get to the sideline and Bailey Zappi is already warming up. Having watched Bill O'Brien shout at him the whole game, or not for the whole game, for but for a massive pocket of it, I wonder, has something been said like, Seriously, if you don't get this touchdown now, you're benched. And like that has to be the pressure. That is the only explanation. Belichick is down there as well, Mark. I just listen yeah. to it. I'm not I, doing I think it. I think it's the pre- I think he knows he's like, Your job is on the line, get us a touchdown. And that's why he underthrows that ball. It's the only thing that can make sense to me because it was that yeah. bad. Do you ever watch the do you ever watch the, the, the obviously the inside the NFL NFL films, paradox, all these uh, all these shows and it shows the interactions between coaches and players. I, I was always taken aback by how blunt coaches are to players. You know, and how I, I I do forget it's professional sports, so they expect the highest level of standard. So I I I'm not one bit surprised to hear the likes of Bill O'Brien or Belichick literally get on Mac Jones's ass and say, "If you don't do X Y Z, you're out." Give him give him give him the the ultimatum. You're out. And I just think I just don't think Mac Jones has the, truth be speaking, the mental stability to hold. That's just reality. And I, I think he's genuinely broken. And even when he was benched, his body language. I mean, geez, don't do that. He just sat down and all kind of elbows, elbows on the knees, and it looked like just a defeated person. And he kind of, I actually kind of felt, I felt sorry for him. I'm not going to lie, I felt sorry for him because he looked like a broken man. Just get him out of there, get him behind the curtain. So um, like he, he's done. His time is done. I think Bailey Zappi, I, I fully expect him to start after the bye week. I wonder what Mac Jones like as a teammate because I don't know what offensive line men went down, but some went down anyway. And Mac waits by him and taps him on the shoulder for a second, calls over the training staff, and before people actually get to him, he's walking to the sideline, I guess, to go talk to Bailey Zappi or something. And I, I was sitting next to someone, I said, geez, that's strange. Like, he's not really a team player there. He's not really sh- showing concern for the guy that's protecting him. Like, this guy's gone injured, you know, trying to keep Mac Jones upright. That, that to me, was kind of like, again, he's just dazzled and he doesn't know what to do. Like, that was the incorrect thing to do, you know, as a teammate in that spot. Sorry, Michael, I cut in over you, but I wanted to say that. Oh, you're grand, 100%. Uh, I was just going to say, like, a couple of things. Well, first off, uh, ironically, a guy from Galway, Jerem Mullins, who listens to this podcast every week, just tagged me saying his Super Bowl tickets paid for. Great guy. Oh, picture. great guy. Good to hear he's going. Brilliant. Then in the picture of James, and he said, up oh, Galway. So there you go, James. Um, 
how to do it. Was there any FOMO from your side? Even like, I know you, you like you text me saying the game was horrible, but was there any FOMO at all? And to piggyback on this before you say, James, literally to go on what um, Michael was saying, I said to him at the game and in the press conference, it's like, what can we do for James here? I didn't know what we could do, but I was like, what can we do for James here? We have to either make him jealous and feel involved one or the other. We weren't able to pull it off. I, I, I won't lie, and, and I will I will admit, right, on Sunday morning, I was sick. I mean, I was sickened. I was so jealous. I was going to check see. I, I had three or four messages written. I had groups created. <laughs> no, don't do it. Just don't do it. I'm not giving the guys the pleasure. Then I went to the stadium, and then cover started early, and they were showing you know high-level shots of the stadium, and I was absolutely sick. Sick. <laughs> you had to go outside. Then the game started, and my sickness started to subside. And then at the end of the game, I was like, oh, thank God I didn't go. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, no, it got worse though, James. But here I am now. Worse. But with hindsight, I still would love to have gone. I would love to have gone. Just forget about the results. I'm a past man's like guy, and the experience would have been probably surreal in all regard. So, yeah, I'm I'm sick. Still sick. They'll be back. They'll be gone. They'll be back at some point. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they might play in Pierce Stadium. Who knows? You, you, you never know, boys. You know, he's super max after. I will say, though, you're lucky you didn't go because Mark Hogan, we laughed immediately because <laughs> we were worried about our flight. The news about Storm Dabby was coming out. We missed Mac Jones and then we don't pay for the train. And apparently now the authorities, Mark, are on, are on the hunt for you at the minute in Germany. That, that's <laughs> a- oh, stuff. No, do you know what? Um, I thought it was great. I heard some of the Irish fans didn't appreciate the Frankfurt. But what the actual, the best thing about Frankfurt, I think, was that the stadium is so close to the airport. You're not five minutes. Like, we were literally from leaving we were looking in front of Bell Belichick and 20 minutes later we're going through security but I suppose James did you say like you feel like you missed out again we are front row we just walked into the press room and those seats are there and I'm like Gran I'm going to take that he's looking at me and Michael as he answers his questions you know how you'd be like in a daze yeah. I hadn't even asked the question and I swear it was like you're back in like six year business class with the old teacher that you don't like about to get asked for your homework. I thought he was going to call me out for no good reason other than that I was sitting front row to prove that I deserve to be there and tell you the fear of God that that man, when you talk about Mike Jones or otherwise, I don't know how people live a season with him because he's just like, he's in the worst mood probably, but he's still intimidating as a come. So uh, I think you would have enjoyed it though to see the, the white in the man's eyes. Yeah, but he's my kind of guy though. I love that shit. You'd have been class. I honestly, I, love, I, 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 I agree with Michael there. Yeah, I love intimidation first, action second. I, I love that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, he like, follow, follow me or don't. I love that. But that's why you would have been so great though as well because again, I'm second guessing every bit of Patriots knowledge that I've ever consumed and like there's certain questions like I, I know I wanted to ask about the video board just because there was a lot of punting in the game and I, I like the punting, especially from the cold seemed to go onto the left of the field a couple of times. I didn't get every inch out of it and I think they're trying to avoid the, the video board. So I actually wanted to ask Bill about that because he's a special teams enthusiast. I was like, this yeah. would actually be sucking help to him in a certain level. But I think that you would have had an absolute feel day so um, yeah, root for him not to go next year. But hey, like, I, I must check Tankathon as I say this, but won't they be in really good shape now for the, the upper draft? Wow. Now. Yeah. But they will, you see, like, I know after the bye week, like, we, we, have, we have the Giants, I think it is. But we don't have an easy schedule finishing up. Like, so again, I've done my way too early prediction. I do think we're going to finish with only four wins, truthfully speaking. You know, and it's, it's reality. I thought, I, I thought, guys. We were going to beat the Colts and beat the Commanders. You know, I thought we were going to head, in, head into the bye week 
you know, a kind of a semi-respectable four and six with a with a hopeful five and five with, with the Dolphins. But here we are, two and eight. They have the toughest of those teams kind of hanging around there. Like Carolina and the Giants don't have an easy schedule, but the New England Patriots definitely stand out themselves and the Cardinals. But the Cardinals with Kyler Murray now back, I I can see another upset and that would kind of rule them out of it. So like looking at it there, like New England being with a right shout, like a right shout of getting that top pick. Yeah. And I know it's not in the Patriots' nature, but I think it's not in terms of the, the tanking, you know. But like, I I would think again I know evidence of this, but I'd say Robert Kraft is his mind made up in, in terms of management. I reckon he probably communicates this to Bill Belichick early, and I reckon he's, he's setting up for next year. I think Bill Belichick will see the year out. And I think we'll see him gone after that, even though he's got an extra year in his contract. I think or not two, it's one or two. I'm not not fully sure, but I know he signed an extension in the off season. But I can't see him in any way, shape, or form, you know, being present for that extension. <laughs> Definitely the bonus in James Scal's contract with Pro Football Ireland, that bonus episode to round off the whole career. Um, <laughs> I'm with for that. Um, James, I do want to touch on one thing because we're going to go back on to different things in a second. We're not going to go into your details this weekend, but this is a really big weekend for the league here in the sense of what the Steelers are doing. Um, it's pretty like, I mean, you, you've been a fan for a long time. Mm-hmm. You've played sport here as well. This is pretty cool, isn't it? Just everything that's happening this weekend with the Steelers and long may continue, sir. Yeah, it's huge. Like, and I, I heard, I, again, my my herding pod partner Paul Murphy, uh, said to me, there's 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 some connection between the Pittsburgh Steelers and Kilkenny for the colours. I might got to ask him because all the black and amber kind of job. It's where they derive from. I believe the Roonies have they Kilkenny heritage. You know? Now the Newry, that's what. Uh, Newry County down both. Yeah. Maybe I'll make, it, I'll make an ask for the next podcast, right? I'll come back with, with, with concrete information as to why the colours of Sikini and the Pittsburgh Steelers are connected. It's so. something that I've said before, James, but uh, one of the most random stats that I've come or facts that I've come back across in a while is um, the US Embassy gym was sponsored by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it's, uh, it's all Pittsburgh Steelers logos in the US Embassy gym in Dublin. Yeah. But yeah, uh, what's the first name, Rooney? That was the ambassador? It's Dan as well, um, is it? Art? Art, Art Rooney. Art Rooney, the ambassador at the time, donated a lot of the Cedars gear. You'd love to be in there. And absolutely, I, I asked Dan Rooney the last day, is like, any chance we can get in there? The embassy. <laughs> be serious. Yeah, into the embassy. Be serious. Yeah, that's the question. Like Art, Art was the chief and da, Dan Senior was the ambassador for Ireland not that long ago. Um, yeah. Literally 10, 10 years ago. And I think it's, um, look, I obviously host a Cedars podcast. I'm taking that hat ha- off and talking as a fan here. There's obviously stuff going on on Saturday that people will see over the weekend. James, it's pretty cool if you're involved in GEA, soccer, whatever. Because that's the thing about this island. Like, the NFL or that sport brings people together in a way that I guess a lot of sports don't. But so, like, look, obviously the GEA does as well. But it's going to be pretty cool to see what happens this weekend. I know you're too busy. And I'm gutted because we were going to have the cracks, sir. Like, I was going to sneak you out and we were going to go for a... (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I have different obligations Saturday, Sunday, and I, I'll say I'm looking forward to them because if my wife listens to the podcast with the child's Christian on Sunday, so I have to say I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> but I would say, row, I, I go back to your earlier point about the sport in NFL in Ireland, and I just think uh, when, the reason I think it's caught on so much is because uh, Irish people are huge sports people, and like we're I don't know, 
I don't know, it's hard to explain this now, but when you take out the parochial side of it, take out the county, take out the, the borders, divide, division lines, right, the NFL becomes huge, you know. And I think Irish people as a whole love physical contact. We love aggressive sports, it's in our nature. So, like, the NFL has grown. So, I, I, I love to see a game coming to, you know, wherever, Viva, Pro Park in the very, very near future. And I think that if you were to ask, look at the diaspora of Irish people who have gone to America, it's predominantly... Pittsburgh and New England, where is the picked up in New York? Those kind of three areas for me is where an awful lot of Irish have, have descended. So I'm hoping one of those teams, if not two of them, can chase off. I know the Steelers are playing uh, Patriots in week 14 or 15. Bad chance to get them over Dublin for then. <laughs> but <sighs> next year, next year, maybe. Next year, they're after. Sorry. I'm definitely getting on that Steelers podcast that week, 100%. Do you know what's gassed? And I'll actually look into it better for um, tomorrow. Um, Hopefully I'll get it up on social media. But Neil Reynolds put up the tweet, uh, Michael, uh, on Wednesday, on Tuesday, on Tuesday, saying, where should the NFL go? There was 165 responses to that. At least, at least, because I can't count them out, but at least 140 are saying Dublin or Crow Park or Ireland or some variation of, which is absolutely insane. But also, like, if you're listening to this, go and comment Dublin or Crow Park or Ireland because... It all helps, you know, because the amount of people that were reading that saying, oh, yeah, do-, like, you know, the whole group thing, people just see, oh, Dublin, they're like, oh, yeah, of course, Dublin, I know that that's the next place to go to. I was like, it all helps. Like, it's been a slow, or a slow building snowball, I suppose. But I think that's what's been great about um, the work you've done, Michael, for years or whatever, but growing that Irish community, because the noise is being heard and it's resulted in this event happening over the weekend. And like we'll see what happens beyond that, but it's all um, these small things are all adding up massively now to but, towards this weekend. A, a collective voice will shout louder. You know what I mean? So the more people you get, the more traction it gets. Great point, snowball effect. The more people, you know, churn this wheel, the greater chance it'll come and come soon. Like I, I don't think you'll see a game. Obviously, obviously not this year. Hardly see a game next year, will you? Hopefully, but definitely after people. I I was saying I like I like. Uh, it's not unusual. Like teams used to have to go um, and play seven. You know, only have a seven game home slate. Like the whole thing is now that you're giving up your neutral. Um, it looks like twenty twenty five. Like that was the obvious thing, but like you have to hold out hope that they they would do it. It's just very difficult if the Steelers were going to give up a home game and only have seven at home next year. If you know how the schedule works, the FC will um, only have eight home games next year, but nine the, the year after that. I would say. You know the the official line from the Steelers on their website is they remain committed to doing something in the future. They like they like to explore the possibility of a game. And with that terminology, I think for me it seems like maybe twenty five is too soon. Maybe, maybe they want to dip their toes in the market. I will for up here tell the boys get the game encasement also get get her built just in that sense. And also the Hogan Suite uh, Jerome man here. I've never been to Hogan Suite, so very excited to be in the Hogan Suite this weekend. <laughs> and James, there's an alternate universe where we were going nuts in Frankfurt last weekend and you were up in Dublin this weekend as well. But next time, next time, here, um, yeah. back to the Isle of Football High. Um, you mentioned a couple of things whenever you were texting this. It's funny because usually in the last few weeks and we'll talk about next week, like I I like, I like have to stay up for first, for first night football because a huge AFC North clash and then Monday night football next week is the Chiefs against the Eagles. Jesus, yeah. it's unbelievable. But w- what else took your fancy 
uh, in week 10. After you watched that Patriots game, did you turn the TV off or did you actually no, watch it? I, uh, right, to be honest, I, I think the best division in, in the NFL at the moment is the AFC North. So I, I put my focus onto that. I just think it's such a close call. You know, it's a great division uh, and they're, they're all knocking each other off. And so I picked up with the with the with the Browns and the Ravens and the Texans and the Bengals, obviously not Texans, um, because I'm now a fan of CJ Stroud as well. And I thought there were two savage games. I know they weren't the most highest score and shootout affairs like they had of the Chargers, etc. Um and Lions, Lions and whatnot. But I just thought uh it was there are two different types of games if you ask me. You know, so the Bengals I started with the Bengals and Texans. Obviously the Texans are hot, you know, really, really hot. Uh and I thought the Bengals defense were coming up. You know. But they got blown out and they got blown out in the air and on the ground. And so I was extremely impressed with the way the Texans could get front-line pressure on Joe Burrow, lost the manner in which the Bengals came back. You know, so it was kind of an awesome, entertaining game. You know, but like the Texans with with their own game with Tank Dell, with CJ Stroud the way he's working. You know, Noah Brown. You know, they're all performing at a very very high level, and it just screams of a team whereby you're saying to yourself, they weren't expecting to be in the top ten this year. Hands up, they weren't with a rookie quarterback. But now we're looking at them saying, how far can they go? You know, how, how far can they go, the Texans, you're saying? And the Bengals, I thought the Bengals needed that win way more than the Texans, to be honest, because of the competitiveness of the division. I think that I think they'd be happy that the Browns took one off the Ravens to bring a small bit of parity back to the division. But to jump to the Browns and the Ravens game, like what a game. What what a finish. That was that was the finish of the weekend for me. Um because like obviously you're you have a two touchdown deficit in the fourth quarter. You know, you turn over the ball on a muff punch and you're like, Oh, this is done. It's it's game over. But the way they battled back was awesome. The defense like the Browns have no man in the top twenty in interceptions. They've only the one guy in the top twenty in some terms of sacks, but they seem to have an all round sound defense. They tackle well, they get pressure well, you know, and they don't give up huge twenty yard plays. I think they're they're in the top five, if I'm correct. Top five in terms of the least amount of twenty plus yards plays given up in the league, which is huge. So they're a team whereby you're looking at just and I always ask that there's you, you hear these um you know at certain stages in the year where a team had a breakthrough game. Or a team had a coming of age game, or a team had a you know a certain type of game that sets them on a roll. You look at the Browns now, whereby they've taken down the Ravens. They're only half a game back. You're saying how far can they go? If Deshaun Watson stays healthy, you know, God knows. I I I honestly thought it was going to be like a Dolphins Bengals AFC Championship game, but the landscape in the NFL, which is beautiful by the way, has just changed so much in the last part. It's it's the beauty. Like every team, there's no team remaining undefeated. We know that. That's the beauty of the NFL. So right now to call it is in is in hugely difficult and like. You, you you said about the Eagles Chiefs game coming up in a couple of weeks or a couple of couple of days. That's going to tell an awful lot. You know the Chiefs might lose one there, and they might they won't get their division obviously. But there's just so many. You know, I have to how to watch the word I use. Um, ways that this season can turn, and we're only about week ten, is it? Heading to week eleven. You know, it's, it's impossible to actually predict. Like even last night, I didn't predict last night's game straight up. I thought we, I thought that would be an easy Bills victory, but here I am, Broncos to them in. in in uh, Upper New York, so it's yeah, it's fun times. Like I'm, I love it. So after covering a lot there, was it, so let, let's unpack it. Like, yeah, yeah. Where, where do we start with unpacking? You're dead right. This is we have to appreciate that this is the best playoff race we've gotten in years because, like, this is when the nor- number one seed is like two teams can only get it. The Chiefs and name other team here. The Bills maybe. The Bills look like right now in Week Eleven they won't get into the playoffs. And the only reason they will get into the playoffs is because the Cincinnati Bengals, the, you know, heir to be last year, going into this year, may also not get there. Which, like, that's so exciting that 
two, and then the Chiefs aren't operating on all cylinders. It's like your top three in the AFC coming into the year and over the span of the last three or four or five years aren't there. And you're talking about the Cleveland Browns. Uh, what was so important for that from that game for me was uh, Deshaun Watson playing well. Um, they gifted what? It was a 14-point uh, start within the first five minutes they gave to the Ravens. So it's insane that they stay competitive, especially considering that they stank through the first half as a whole. But Deshaun Watson and you guys, as I joined the call, might have seen me um, scrambling to get the actual status, trying to ca- uh, count up how many completions in a row Deshaun Watson had to kind of end the game. It was 14 and 14. So it's like he actually came in clutch. And then you have to give a shout out to Keonton or Keonton, Keonton Mitchell. Mitchell, the running back anyway. I didn't know where he was after coming from, but he is insane for the Ravens on the other side of the field. So it's like when you saw him through the first, like the Ravens just started off so well, but for the defense and geez, now I'm being watching you to James and I'm all over the place here, but the defense was making mistakes like absolute crazy as well. Like what did they have? They had a a holding call on a fourth down that they had a sack on that would have given them the ball. Um, They go and end up blocking a punt on that drive. They go up the other end and they've run out of time. They end up trying to Hail Mary and get nothing from it. And then the start of the fourth quarter, they have a scuff punt when they're down 24-17 and it's like, you don't know where this game is going. So it's like, they face some serious adversity. A bit like, we'll get back to the Browns and Texans in a second, but a bit like the Texans, the Browns can take massive confidence from being down in a huge hole against a serious team and finding a way out of it. Without their two-star tackle. Uh, but I suppose everyone's going to have their injuries. Like, you're dead right, but I suppose it's like... Yeah, and right. Yeah. With a banged-up quarterback. Mixed all the more, and for them to be able to stifle the the Ravens' run game, which they did in fairness, you know, they, they stifled the run game. It's, it's hugely impressive all around. Sorry, I'm tr- I'm trying to think of just while you're talking there. I kind of think of the running back's first name, Keonton Mitchell. But anyway, but um, I suppose yeah, they were they were able to stop it. But it's like yeah, I was really took a lot from the throws that Watson was able to have. I think it was his best game since he's. I suppose, been with the Browns. And I suppose it's happened at the right time of year as well because we were saying that the Baltimore Ravens are probably the best team in the league only two years ago. And it just speaks to what you were saying about like everyone's kind of jostling for position but no one's able to remain for too long. It's like they played the Pittsburgh Steelers down this week and the Steelers, like we know that they keep on like one way or another fluking through wins. And it's like they could go, they could revert now the Cleveland Browns back to that first half team that gets the blows, doors blown off them. So, yeah, I... I, I it's one of those that the Browns, I suppose, didn't have to win that because they're trying to play for the seventh seed, but that kind of like vaults them into the fifth seed. Like That's actually where the uh, New York Times uh, simulator has them going into the playoffs as the fifth seed now. It's like they're trucking along nicely, and I guess it's nice that you're able to do it a bit under the radar like this. And because the storyline will remain this week that the Buffalo Bills lost to the Denver Broncos or whatever, this game is like lost. Like They don't have to deal with that pressure that maybe yeah. they did two or three years ago. Yeah. Um, just to talk, and I know we haven't been talking about this on WhatsApp or anything. James, some of the news that was mentioned there, obviously Ken Dorsey's been sacked as the OC, as the OC yeah. uh, the Buffalo yeah. Bills. Um, they're third in DVOA, they're third in EPA per play, they're first in success rate, they're second in the league and third down conversion, they're third in yards per play, and they're third in red zone efficiency. It doesn't seem to me like Ken Dorsey is the problem going by the statistics. 
but yet a lot of Bills fans are on the fence in this. Like we seen Josh Allen struggle in 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 London. Whenever we seen him a few weeks ago, we were actually chatting to somebody at the weekend who spent a lot of time around the team that week, and he said they looked a bit broken. They didn't want to be there. And um, I know it's very close after Monday Night Football, and like I I only watched the tape to see them, but just generally, do you feel like? from what you've seen of Josh Allen and the Bills so far this year, that it merits the sack someone as, as as big as the OC 11 weeks in? See, it's a massive yeah, decision to make. Like, all, all the statistics you just named out there would scream to a team that's highly efficient and highly productive and has a winning record. Um, and like, I, I Ken Dorsey is, is a good OC. We all know that. Like, he was trying back in Carolina with Cam Newton. But the thing about it is, uh, he's not turning over the ball. Like, I think Josh Allen... To a degree, he's making some really poor decisions. Like, I think he's got 11 interceptions now, that race. 11 or 12 interceptions, which should be on a par for what he did in the years previous at the end of the season. So, like, I think in years previous, if you go back to minus his rookie year, he'd like 9, 10, 11, 14 interceptions. You know what I mean? Those four years, uh, when, he, when he's had digs in his roster. So, I, I just think he's a scapegoat. Ken Dorsey's a scapegoat. It's not him that's turning over the ball. Like, he, he didn't give the way a penalty last night. They didn't have. He wasn't him that had 12 personnel on the pitch for the field goal and that would have won the game. You know, it's as simple as that. But he's the scapegoat. Um, I think there's a bit of discontent in Buffalo too. So there's a re- when, when Kirk Cousins signs his, his, his major extension, uh, effectively, Stefan Diggs wiggles his way out of there. So he wiggles the way he, he causes a bit of eruption. And now like, I just feel like that's the way it is at the moment. I think Stefan is just causing a bit of, bit of hassle. It's just, it just seems like he's in a situation now where he wants to get out of Buffalo. And I saw a tweet last night from his brother saying he needs to never get the correct wording he said 14 needs to get up out of there you know as if, as if like he, he has to just abandon the ship so I'd say you, you won't see you won't see Stefan Diggs on the, the Bills roster next year and it's just it, when things go well there's kind of like a synchronicity about it between, all, between the quarterback and his receivers and look at the turnover of Gabe Davis last night look at you know Kincaid who, who played okay mind you uh, and Jigs three receptions for thirty four yards. Like it just doesn't scream like a high powered offense. So there's there's a lot of things to fix there. But like that, we've seen it before, um, where teams have done well. The Patriots, like when they won the last Super Bowl, were I think six and four, six and five at the halfway mark, or just the halfway mark. So it can be turned around. But the thing is, they're not flying in the same manner as they were years previous. Like when they got beaten in the AFC Championship game two two years ago, uh, they were really high flying and they were heading into that game with with like on a good trajectory. Now it's just stop start. And it seems like all that was done in the home game versus the Dolphins a few weeks ago has just all come undone. And it's, it's hard to see where the team goes from here. You know, it's hard to see them making a, a Super Bowl run unless things just really get turned around in, in the next 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 fortnight. So a lot to watch in Buffalo. Because we're talking about that um, Bengals game at a bit more depth then because those are two teams, I suppose, that are really putting the Bills under pressure, whether it's Cincinnati yeah. being so involved in that wildcard race now or the Houston Texans, who I hope to God, like I know a lot of people wanted to see the Jacksonville Jaguars make the playoffs last year. I absolutely want to see those Houston Texans in there. You started off by saying like they weren't the most high-powered games, and then you actually ended up by saying that the Cleveland finish was your favorite. I absolutely loved the Texans-Bengals game because it it starts off and oh, I wish I didn't have to score because it starts off and it looks like Joe Burrow is going to have an absolute day. He throws the touchdown to the... Um, to the tight end, I can't think of his name now, but it was like, oh man, like it was the, the safety is tracking, the cornerback is there 
and Burrow just like slots in a, like a beautiful, beautiful pass. And the same can be said for the Jamar Chase. Like he's like scrambling all over the place. I don't think his feet are planted at all. And he gets his pass off that's absolutely beautiful. But the story from the game, you can say it's CJ Stroud, which absolutely is. But Tank Dell and Noah Brown have to get their dues as well. Um, straight away again in the game, like CJ Stroud comes out. And just like we talked about last week, he shows so many different elements of what he can do well. Like it's no fluke. Like he's doing it straight from the off. Like he throws a ball to the tight end Dalton Schultz. Um, and like I don't know, this is like the second or third throw of the game for him. And it's like the defender, the safety is going like stride for stride with Schultz. So CJ Stroud just puts it up high. Like he literally just like like a GA catch, just over the head and he brings it in because the the height mismatch must be seven or eight inches. Like it's just easy yeah. stuff. Um, a bit like last week again, he throws to the feet of Robert Woods, knowing that Robert Woods won't get any yards after the catch, but he'll fall and he'll pick up probably 10 yards. And then himself and Noah Brown seem to be on an absolute connection because like CJ Stroud just knows how to, th- when to throw the ball right on the sideline so that Noah Brown will have a diving catch, get his feet down and go out of bounds. And it's like, you're watching him and it's just like insane. I suppose he does have his rookie mistakes. There was the snap exchange that was fumbled. I mean, like that happens when it happens more often to rookies. And he has a fumble that he's trying to get away from a sack that he just should have eaten the sack really because he tries to throw the ball. Someone's after tipping his arm and it counts as a fumble. But like, Oh, there was, and th- that's only scratching the surface on what he did. And it's very easy to always just talk about quarterback. I should say that there was plenty out of other guys like in the game. The likes of Devin Singletary, his running is fantastic. We know from the Patriots that holes don't just get open. So it's like, shout out to um, Larry Tunsil, the left tackle, who seems to be doing absolutely it all. Um, Robert Woods is a great touchdown that was called back because he was after stepping out of bounds. Um, Noah Brown played on when he's after losing his helmet on one of the plays. Like they are just like so tough, the likes of himself and Tank Dell, that I I just can't get over. I just can't get over on how many aspects they're operating on a super high level, and they deserve it. And Michael, you picked them the other day, and I take I was talking to you on the way to Frankfurt. I said that's such a good pick. We said on our other podcast, I don't know how it was a six and a half point game. I said anyone that's listening, you have to take the six and a half points for the Texans, no, and they are absolutely yeah. a threat now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, not good, not good. Um, quarterback rating of one hundred and one on average so far this season. Number two pick, and, and I I think back to that game in January when it was the Texans against the Colts, and everything could have been so. So different. I'd say Lovey Smith's laughing right now if ever in the happen voice. Um, James, feel free to jump in any other topic you want, but I'd love to get your thoughts before we go, uh, before I go back to work. Um, Eagles Chiefs on Monday night. Pick a winner for us. It's a hot game. Actually, a in Arrowhead as well. Yeah, which is, which is um, I listened to the uh, the New Heights podcast with Jason and, and um, Travis Delcy, right? Do you like it? And the hype. I know, I, I just listened to a couple. I listened to the Gronk, uh, Edelman, and the one with Jordan Mailata, right? I, I particularly wanted to hear about the Jordan Mailata. And when he's speaking, <clears throat> along with, excuse <clears throat> me, Jason Kelsey, to listen to the way they talk about uh, their team, the Eagles team, and Jalen Hurts and their, their coaching staff. And I just, I, I came off listening to that podcast going, that's the Eagles going to win the Super Bowl. You know, that's just the way it turned me. You know, the way they're, they seem so connected and they talk about Hurts like he's just, 
all inspiring leader, even though he's, he's a young kid. Still, he's still a young, young guy, or effectively. But so look, I'm interested to see how she or how the Eagles go into a very, very hot environment. To be honest, Arrowhead is probably one of the hottest. It is probably the hottest environment along with the Bills in the AFC, and how how they counteract it. Um, and I, I'm expecting the Eagles to, to do a job here. You know, I am because they're 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 efficient on all sides of the ball. I think they have the defense and the athletes up front to, to get after Patrick Mahomes. Like, so I'm I'm expecting you know the Eagles to, to how would you say stamp their authority in Arrowhead and make a major statement for, for the Super Bowl because after a couple of I suppose coughs over the last couple of weeks the Niners came back with a with a, with a bang against the Jags um, and like it seems like it, sh- it should be illegal for them to be able to get Chase Young so now they have just two behemoths on either side of the line of scrimmage like so that's. Yeah, they're not going to go away. They probably they've gone through their bad patch, and here they are coming back again. So it would be with eager anticipation we see how the how, how the Chiefs will hold up against the Eagles. But like that, we've seen games throughout the year that's where we've expected teams to win, and they haven't done it. Like last night, you know, I expected Miami to beat Buffalo a few weeks ago after after their hot game, you know, and and here we are. So like I expected Dallas to beat Arizona. So it's just if you're the NFL, it happens week in week out. But I, I do think Eagles will uh, will top of the Chiefs. I like the New Heights podcast, but it really annoys me when you're really in-depth listening to it and then suddenly they're advertising something really professional. You're like, oh my God. Yeah, and they're way too happy advertising. Like, I mean, that that gets me, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're way too, oh, look at this. Take this. Like, just shut, just get on with it. Just say what you say. No, I just move on. The, <laughs> I'm sorry. The no. perfect swerve. Like, for example, um, God, you'd really bet on the Eagles to beat the Chiefs this weekend. Pro Football Ireland's been out of the sport. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Good lads. Yeah. Uh, Mark, is, is there anything you want to ask James before we uh, say it's long foils? No, do you know what? It is interesting what you're saying there about the Eagles really do seem to have one another's back. And that's why I'm thinking the Houston Texans seem to be the exact same. They're like just playing for one another, playing super tough. Whereas then you're saying like the Buffalo Bills, you know, there seems to be that bit of animosity that has been bubbling since the offseason when there's Stephon Diggs. So it's like, you know, Mark, yeah, I wonder. The word you're looking for there, right, is is grunt. We've often I've often used it in teams, right? If you have a team that has a collective grunt together, whereby it's just kind of they'll they'll run through Ant and go through Ant collectively, that's 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 a great characteristic or a sign of a team. The Bills don't have that. And the Dolphins don't have it too. But the likes of the Eagles have it in abundance. You know, and the Texans and I, I agree with you, big timers. The Texans have it. They have this just this collective grunt where it feels like and the lines, I feel like they're kind of they embody their coach or they embody their, their group and next thing they're on a collective mission together. And it's hard to stop them, a team like that that has a grunt and has, you know, is on, has momentum behind them. So I, I think you're right with the Texas. It, it's a great you know, analogy to think what how they're going together. So they, they're, they're a team to watch, if you ask me. Because, uh, you know, the one other thing that I have to say seems to have it and it's because they got their quarterback only recently with Josh Dobbs as the Minnesota Vikings. These guys are playing with nothing to lose and playing for one another as a result, whereas you're talking about Trayvon Diggs, obviously with um, the Dallas Cowboys, obviously injured now, but coming out and saying about his brother because they have such lofty expectations because they're like, yeah, we deserve to be here. It's a bit the same for me with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like when we were when we're in these different press conferences because we've seen so many teams now, we've seen ten teams, but I've probably seen about six in the press conferences I've gotten to, and it's like. You get the vibe off certain... Actually, when you say the Miami Dolphins, I think they actually do play for one another because they were very positive. And I think that's a Mike McDaniel trait. He was very positive in the press conference afterwards. And so was Tua. I was like, it actually made me feel a bit good about them. I was like, do you know what? The expectations aren't too great for them. They're able to compartmentalize this now saying, yeah, we know we're going to face 
that we can't beat any of the big teams. But sure, those big teams that they haven't beaten, the Buffalo Bills, for instance, like, are you really worried about them right now? It's like the Baltimore Ravens are obviously the ones that they're going to have to face coming up. So it's like, I am tracking that. But I know for my own self, the Arizona Cardinals have been my team for years. I didn't enjoy the Cliff Kings for a year because they all hated another. They all seem like mercenaries. Right now, they seem to be doing great because they're playing. Conor Murray has a smile on his face. And it's like, that's why I think they're like the Minnesota Vikings, a team that you can root for because they're playing for one another. So I think that's going to have uh, the same things as we get into the playoffs when teams aren't meeting expectations, are suddenly having to fight for a wall card when they thought they're going to win a division. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to make it really interesting. Can I ask you one last question? Just go back to the Bills for a second. Go for it. They're going to get rid of Stefan Diggs. I think Anahan's on the wall now. I, I, I could see them not, not sort of exceeding or getting anywhere near their expectations this season. After losing to that Broncos team now, it was an improved Russell Wilson performance. The defense done very well, but the Bills were very, very poor. And people will argue about the 12 man on the field getting the Broncos out of jail at the end. The fact that the Bills were still in that, or the Broncos still in that game at the end, it's a whole different discussion for me. Um, I, I woke up, I woke up, I didn't even watch the game live. I was shocked. Stefan Stefan Diggs, though, is like, we know from his time in Minnesota that, like, not that he's a bit bratty, but, like, he is a bit bratty that he has expectations. This is it for the Bills. This is as good as it gets. Like, they were absolutely supposed to be in the Super Bowl. If not last year, it had to be this year. And if suddenly they don't make the playoffs, which, you know, it's absolutely in jeopardy right now, they're going to, like, not have to blow the whole thing up, but they will blow the whole thing up. Like, Stephon Diggs will not want to be there. He's going to make more noise. Last year, they were able to keep him in check because they're saying, look, Stephon, we're going for the number one seed here. What do you want us to do? I'd say he's going to be, like, whinging, like, ser- like something serious now after the season if they're, like, dumped out at the very, like, by the wildcard round. I agree. I agree. James, I'm not going to be here next week because I am... Um bringing Phoebe Schachter to Belfast. I was trying to get Mark to go, but he said, Michael, I got to Oh, wait, we, we have another uh, James and Mark podcast coming up. I wasn't uh, thinking about that. Yeah. So, no, they, unless, that's great. Unless yeah, we do it on the Wednesday, but I'll not be here next Tuesday, so I will miss you both desperately. And who knows, will Bill Belichick be the head coach to the New England Patriots by the time I return to this podcast? Oh, please God. Please God. Oh, yeah. Head me love I don't imagine I could have been the last journalist to ever ask him a question. Don't do that to me as well, Michael. I'm telling you, part of me wants me to be like we were at the last post game press conference of the Valley. <laughs> That's shocking. I want it. I want it badly, lads. I'm Mac Jones. <laughs> oh, that's shocking. That's on that shocking. note, I think James is about to get up and discussed. James, go me Morgan. Thank you so much, and thanks everyone who's listening. Scanlon NFL. We will see you next week. Uh, Pro Football Ireland. All week long, baby, massive weekend, biggest weekend ever in Ireland. Uh, there are five tickets left for Neil Reynolds on Saturday night. L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash NFL Ireland song. Good boy, I'll chat to you soon.